0: Spiritual living requires a spiritual birth. Jesus says in John chapter three and verse six, that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And in that sentence, Jesus pretty much summarizes what the spiritual life is all about. It is lived and experienced. It is entered into and enjoyed on an altogether different level than the human carnal flesh life is is, is lived upon. Origin is everything. Birth is, is everything for the Lord. And if you're of the kind of the flesh if your origin and birth your foundation is of flesh then all that you can express and enter into and enjoy and manifest if you will is the life the dynamic of the flesh but i know you want to enter into the spiritual life and so what many of us do is we read about the spiritual life in the new testament We extrapolate a couple of thoughts and steps and principles and dynamics, and then we we begin to work on the fruit of the tree. But in John 3, Jesus comes to the root of the tree. And for him, the root of the tree is an issue of birth, because you can only express the fruit to the extent that the root is sound. That is, I can only live really authentically graciously, in reality, the spiritual life if I have a spiritual birth. And that principle already is established in the book of Genesis where it says that every kind will produce after its own kind. Lions produce lions, fish produce fish, and chimpanzees produce chimpanzees. Now, whoever births you passes on DNA to you. And that nature that is passed on to you gives you the authority to live then and express and enter into and experience the enrichment of that life. If your father and mother is a chimpanzee, then you're born of that nature and then you have the right to climb trees. You have the right to live in the jungle. If you're Uh, foundation is a a mother and a a male and female lion, then you have the right to live in the Serengeti and to express the lion life. Um, Even so, if you're born from the human nature, then you have the authority to live as a human being. You have an authority to speak and to act and, and to live in rhythms and dynamics of the human life. Now, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, and you want to experience life as it was lived in the first century, then you have to have a birth from God. And you will see that if you do not have a proper birth in God, then you will be frustrated in your living of the Christian life. Many of us are like the chimpanzee who has the chimp nature, yet tries to copy and imitate the human nature. And so you've been to the circus and you've seen chimpanzees, they smoke cigarettes and they look at the cell phone and they have clothes on and they have all the masks and, and all the pretense. But at the end of the show, the chimp stays chimp, even though he has imitated so many of the human behaviors. And that's what you and I do is we imitate God and we think this is Christian living if I can be perfected in imitation. This is not Christian living. In fact, this is religion. This is Phariseeism, where we see God at a distance and now we attempt to copy the characteristics of God. But the New Testament teaches altogether something different. It doesn't teach us the copying of God. It teaches us the indwelling of God. It teaches us participation in God, union with God, where I live in Him and He live in me, where we are one in spirit, as uh, the book of Corinthians would teach. So this is the issue that I want to address with you. Do you have a proper spiritual birth? Because if you do, then the Christian life is taken care of by your parent, Almighty God. After all, whoever births you is obligated to nurture you, to train and grow and mature, to keep and protect and guard and lead you. And if you do not experience the shepherding of God and let's say the nourishment of God then do you have a proper birth in God if God births you and you are his son and daughter then he is obligated to live the Christian life through you to anoint you with the reality of that life and far too many of us live in the realm of imitation instead of in the realm of impartation. We live in the realm of copycatting Jesus and and sort of just trying to be what would Jesus do, when all along in the New Testament God has a better plan, and it's to baptize you in His Spirit, to fill you with His nature, and to pass on His DNA, if you will, which we call the divine nature and attributes of God. And when that comes into your being, then you will live a life that matches the rhythm, the reality, and the dynamics of the New Testament that you and I read. I want to present to you three very elementary truths of the new birth, the new life. And I want you to come with me to John's Gospel, chapter 3. The first reality that I want to bring to your attention about the new birth is that it has to be a birth that is of God, a birth that is from above. In John 3, there was a man, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, and he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, as a Pharisee, he was a devoted one literally a separatist to the obedience of God. He was a man who scripted from sunrise to sundown his entire existence around worship and obedience to the law of God. In a way, he was disciplined, he was moral, he was outstanding, and in a way, he was so religious, so spiritual, you might even say he had arrived... At the zenith of the spiritual life. On the other hand, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was involved in uh, the Sanhedrin and the affairs of governing people. So you you better believe he was an outstanding, dignified, noble, and honorable man. He was a man of influence and respectability. And yet, when this man approaches Jesus, Jesus would say to him, Phariseeism is not enough. Your devotion is your your legalism, your your obedience, all the steps that you're taking, all the observances that you are keeping—it's it, not enough to enter into the things of God. Nor just being an outstanding uh, civilian, an honorable and noble man—it's it, just not enough. You have to have a birth that is from above. Now, what is interesting here in John chapter three? is that this man Nicodemus comes to the Lord and he says to him Rabbi we know that you've come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him and he approaches Jesus based upon two observations number 1 he compliments Jesus as a proper teacher, as a rabbi. And he appeals to Jesus on the basis of the exchange of thoughts and truths and teachings. It's as though Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, um, maybe you've got a truth or a teaching that I don't have. You know, after all, in Phariseeism, we have about 6,000 laws. And uh, maybe you can give me one more. One more that can make me enter in, that can make me enjoy, that can make me experience and be enriched in the things of God. And so he appeals to Jesus based on teaching, based on information. And I submit to you that's where many of us are, is that we encounter Jesus because maybe he can teach me something. Maybe he's got another you know, thought or principle or dynamic that can make the, the fruit on my tree just grow so good. He also appeals to Jesus as a person of signs and wonders. And he says to him, You know, God is with you. Otherwise, you obviously cannot do the um, wondrous works that you're doing. And that's where many of us are also, is we want God to teach us signs and wonders, and we want a crash course in miracles. And what astounds me is that, yes, Jesus is a teacher, and yes, he can give us a crash course in miracles. But in this account, he does not meet Nicodemus on that level. That is the human level that need teaching, that need another uh, sign and wonder. He approaches this encounter with Nicodemus from a divine perspective. And he says to him, Nicodemus, in verse 3, unless you are born anew, some translations might even say, unless you are born again, You cannot see the kingdom of God. The most accurate word in the Greek rendering, though, for the word you must be born again, or you must be born anew, is actually the word you must be born from above. And of course, the context makes us uh, understand that it's a new birth. But the actual word there is that Jesus says you cannot improve that which you already have, Phariseeism. You cannot rise higher in that which you already have, talent, respectability, leadership. If you want to come into the realities of God, number one, you have to have a birth that is altogether on another plane than the human life. It's a birth that is from above. If you're born from above, that is, if the Spirit of God hovers over you and in breathes himself into you and baptizes him from heaven into your being, then in a way you become a new creature. Uh, the DNA of God is passed on to you. And as the heavens is higher than the earth, you will experience that if your birth is genuinely from above, genuinely divine, then you will experience a very unique grace coming over your life that enables you to live the Christian life. And out goes imitation. Out goes copying God and In comes the divine nature whereby you can participate in in the enjoyment, the enrichment, the experiences of heaven, that is, of God. And so, beloved, the first thing that I want to ask you, have you had a birth that you can undeniably and unequivocally say was not of man, was not of steps? was not of rehearsal and a script and of the flesh. Have you been born from above? And you have to just ask yourself the question, how do you live the Christian life? Do you live it by your own strength? Well, that's Phariseeism. Do you live it by your own principles and dignity and honor? Well, that's just being a kind of a ruler or a leader if you want to live in the pattern and rhythm of the New Testament then you have to have the fruit that matches the lives of those folk in the New Testament you cannot have in the 21st century a different Christian life than what those folk had in the first century yes we live in a different era and generation and even a different culture But in principle, we all need to still be born from above to be the heavenly people and and to be a part of the rhythm of the spirit. The folk in the first century showed us how to live the Christian life. And you and I dare not say ours is, is altogether different. It has to match. And where it has to match is at the start of the Christian life. We have to match Their birth and spirit in our modern times. So yeah, here's Nicodemus. He just wanted to engage Jesus maybe based upon um, teaching and miracles. And Jesus said to him, no, no, no. As the wind blows and you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. And the wind belongs to the heaven, by the way. So will those be who are born of my spirit. Of course, Nicodemus enters into a little bit of a debate. How is this possible? How can I enter into my mother's womb and be born again, anew, afresh? And Jesus said to him, no, 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 no. Unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. This brings me then to the second issue. Number one is you're born from above, but here Jesus makes mention and says you are born of water and spirit. And now the great question is, what is he meaning by that phrase, water and spirit? And Jesus answered Nicodemus, and he said to him that unless you are born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter in to the kingdom of God. It takes apparently these two things to birth you, to enter you in to the dynamic and the rhythm and reality and the experience, the enrichment and the enjoyment of the rain and the habitat of God so unless you have a water birth and unless you have a spirit birth you do not have a proper start in the kingdom of God this is the Lord's Word here and now the question becomes what did Jesus intonate by water and by spirit obviously To be born of spirit, we know that he's referring to the Holy Spirit. That's the wind. And that's the um, uh, hovering spirit, as in the book of Genesis, that comes from heaven and and clothes you and moves upon you. And that's the breath of God that's going to be breathed into you. So yes, God is responsible for bringing you into the kingdom. But Jesus speaks... A seemingly mystical word here that you must also be born of water. And many uh, commentators have said that this water represents the word of Jesus. In a way, that a woman, when she gives birth, there's the breaking of the water. When Jesus died on the cross, there came the water and the blood from his side. And a general interpretation is, in a mystical sense, that the speaking of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus, the truth, the word of Jesus is like water. And it, it, it breaks over you and washes over you um, to bring you into this new birth. And Paul would even say, you know, how can I believe unless I hear the truth, the word, the gospel? And uh, yeah, I can totally see that. Jesus is basically saying, my word, Nicodemus, has to trump the teaching of the Pharisee and, and, ha- and find an entrance into your being, and this is how you will be birthed. And um, yeah, I totally see that. But I also believe this word is more practical than we've ever considered before. When he says, Nicodemus, you must be born of water, I believe it intonates also the waters of baptism. That's what Nicodemus would have heard, because in Jerusalem, baptism was a part of the worship of God. Three times a year, when you came up to Jerusalem to encounter God, to go onto the Temple Mount and worship God, you had to go through ceremonial, ritualistic uh, cleansing. And that was facilitated through a baptism pond we call Mikvahs. And even if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see all around the temple these mikveh pools carved out of the bedrock of the Judean mountain there uh, upon which uh, Jerusalem is built. And so you would pay a little bit of money, you get a new rope, you go down one set of staircases, uh, get baptized and soaked, you come up, pay a little bit more money, go into the temple, exchange money, you know, you would, you would get your lamb. And, but that, that ceremony, that ritual of baptism is this issue of water, and all Jewish writings agree that going through that water washing is equivalent to a kind of a birth. You're regenerated, and you're made afresh, and you're made anew before you can go up to the temple. Except, I do not believe Jesus is referring to ritual bathing in Jerusalem here, but I believe this reference to water pertains to his cousin, John the Baptizer who's on the backside of the desert, down there by the Jordan River. And he is in a God-forsaken, ceremony-less, culture-less environment. And there, he's crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, under John's ministry, God was turning the age. And something very significant happened In the ministry of John the baptizer I want to briefly mention two things to you here number one who John the baptizer was and number two what it took from you to go down to that crazy prophet in the desert and be dunked by him well first John the baptizer was supposed to be a priest a Levite ministering in the Jerusalem temple his father after all, was a minister in the temple. John is of that foundation. He's of that origin. So his work and his ministry was supposed to be in the sphere of the temple. He was supposed to wear the best of the best robes. Eat the best of the best sacrifices he was supposed to be wealthy and rich like all of the priests were he was supposed to have long prayers and prayer books and incenses and sacrifices and he was all day long supposed to be busy with with ceremonies and, and rituals and the worship of God there at the temple but God removed this prophet priest to the backside of the desert where there was no temple, there was no culture, there was no tradition, no prayer book, there's no ritual, there's no performance in the desert. In fact, there's no houses, there's no cultivation. It's almost as though that's the place where there's nothing. And there, this prophet started the new move of God on This earth. Now, the second thing that you need to know is that if you wanted to be a part of John's baptism, you, in a way, had to leave the ritual baptism of Jerusalem and go down to the actual river Jordan. Now, what had to happen was Jerusalem being on top of the hills there in Judea, geographically speaking, high up on the hills. You would have to leave that city and descend and go down, even below sea level, and yet go down and down and down and go down to that Jordan River that flows into the Dead Sea, the deepest spot on planet Earth. You had to undertake a journey of tremendous separation, a journey of humility. A journey of going down. But you also had to take a journey of desperation. A journey of choice. A journey of engaging your will. You had to take a journey that said, I am done with the formulas and the rituals and the traditions of Jerusalem. The teachings of the Pharisees. I'm done with the pomp and the possess. I want to go see what it's really all about. In other words, to be a part of John's ministry, you had to be removed from your familiar environment, your culture, um, the way that it's always been done. You had to be open to something new, something different, something other. To go down and be baptized by John, no doubt, invoked mockery and ridicule and skepticism and being ostracized. Oh, you go see that wild prophet in the desert? Well, you cannot come into our holy abode here in Jerusalem. The heart of what I want to say is simply this. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and said, Nick, you have to have a water birth, I believe that he was saying to him, before I can do a ministry of the Spirit in your life, you got to go see my cousin John first and walk away from what you've known here in Jerusalem. Walk away from the traditions and the culture here. Walk away from the familiar and in desperation, humble yourself and go get in touch with brokenness, with humility. Go get in touch with the real condition. And Jesus is basically saying to him, I don't want to just add another teaching or another miracle to your life. I want your life actually to be emptied. And that's what the ministry of baptism really is all about. It's it's a ministry of burial. It's a ministry of laying down. It's a ministry of becoming poor in spirit. It's a ministry of being emptied. Basically, New Testament baptism is about dying. Dying. It's about saying, God, I don't have what it takes. I'm good for nothing. Bury me. And coming out of baptism then commences the ministry of the Spirit. So under John's ministry, in a way you died, so to speak. You died to your own ego, your own will. You died to your own way and your method and your glory. And you let this crazy man baptize you. You even went to the lowest spot on earth. And then when you got there, you even went down in the river. It's all a picture of utmost emptying. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, without such an emptying, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not an add-on to the richness of your human life and your human religion. and It's a new birth. And yes, if the Spirit is to raise you up into this heavenly reality, then you first have to come to the end of yourself. No wonder we have so many references in the New Testament to being crucified and dying and and taking up a cross. That simply means coming to the end of yourselves. In the book of Hebrews, the writer there in chapter 6 says that One of the first foundations of the normal Christian life is repentance from dead works. And that's what the baptism of John demonstrated. When you came to him, you repented from your useless, empty, dead works. And so, according to Jesus, unless you have a repentance from dead works, you cannot enter into the kingdom of the heavens. So to be born of water, no doubt, is the speaking of Jesus, the gospel, the washing. But practically speaking, it's also the laying down of your own ego, your own will, your own way, your own method, your own culture, your own traditions, your own glory. And it's taking on shame in a sense, vulnerability, meekness. And as Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, He said that the kingdom of the heavens are for those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor, those who are emptied, those who have nothing to give God those whose foundation is zero for theirs is the reality of the kingdom of the heavens the third item that I want to bring to your attention regarding the new birth is not only that it's from above spirit and not only is it in partnership with my humility my brokenness my desperation but well, what happens is when your desperation and the spirit of God meets then you enter in to the reality of the kingdom of the heavens and you gain because of an indwelling lord the constitutional capacity the authority and the right to then live the normal christian life many of us stay in the imitation game of god we live from the human level attempting to reach the divine standard of god and so we do that through religion and through copying and through imitating but we will always 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 fall short of glory why because in my humanity in my flesh dwells nothing good and I do not have the constitutional capacity. Um, you might say, I don't have the oomph to live the Christian life as it was portrayed in the New Testament. And so that's why we're frustrated. And Jesus even said here several times, he said, Unless you're born of water and unless you're born of spirit, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And again, he would say, You cannot enter into. So, if you don't have a proper birth, then you don't have the proper nature. You don't have the divine DNA of God, so to speak, coursing through your being. You don't have the aid, the supply, the enrichment of heaven to cause you to live then the heavenly life. What we would say is the normal Christian life. So, here's definitely an immediate result of spiritual birth. Yes, you gain a new heart, you gain a new spirit, but the way that we say it is that you gain, because of God in you, the constitutional capacity then to see some of the things of God, to understand, to comprehend, to know. God should not remain alien to us who are birthed of water and spirit. God should not remain vague and distant and elusive to us. God should be enjoyed. God should be experienced. And because I have this new birth in God, I should be rich in the things of God. I should love God and have a big fat heart for the things of God. Paul said in Colossians 1.27, Christ in me is the hope of glory. Nothing else in me will give me the capacity to live a sanctified life, to live out the rhythm of God, to live out the will and the mind and the ways of God in this earth. Christ in me only is the way that I'm going to shape up. Christ in me only is the way that I'm going to be glorified. That is, Christified. Christ in me is the only way that something in me is going to change. And so religion changes me, or attempts to change me, from the outside in. But because of the new birth, the pressure is no longer on me to change myself. The pressure is on God, so to speak, because whoever births you is obligated to grow you, to train you, to teach you. My wife and I, when our children were born, We took it very seriously to take care of their well-being. And it's our responsibility to nurture them in the human life. And so for those of us who are born of God, God then, in you, gives you the ability to live out His commandments, live out His will and His way and His heart's desire, His burden in this earth. And so I meet so many of the Lord's people who are so frustrated in the Christian life because they have seemingly no aid. There's no capacity within them. And so they run up against a wall and they think another teaching will give me the breakthrough. And they think maybe another sign. Oh God, give me another wonder. That that will be the breakthrough. And it actually does not bring the breakthrough. They have to have a birth of spirit and a birth of water. Spirit is from above. Water represents your brokenness, your dying, your humility, your desperation. You're walking away from just the observances of religious practices. You're walking away from copying and imitating and just formalism. and You're walking into real, raw brokenness. Jesus said that unless you have such a birth, you cannot enter. Logic then says, if you have such a birth, you should enter into a rhythm with God where He in you is the richness. He in you is the sanctifying grace. He's the one anointing you. He's the one leading and speaking. He's the one that is obligated to equip you and train you in the spiritual life. And there you have it. Spiritual living requires a spiritual birth. You you have no spiritual life unless you've been born of water and of spirit. You have an imaginary life. You have a self-right life. You have perhaps a scripted life. But you have no New Testament life unless, according to the word of Jesus, you've had a birth from water, and from spirit. Beloved, can I ask you regarding water baptism? It's not the issue of water or the pool necessarily. Water baptism is an issue of your desperation. You willing to walk away from it all and consider yourselves so emptied, so poor and impoverished in spirit, and and just basically saying, Bury me. I'm good for nothing. Beloved, can I ask you, do you have such an ongoing attitude in you of being emptied and good for nothing? Because if you still think you have what it takes to live the spiritual life, then um, you're mistaken. You might even be deceived. I would encourage you that if you want to experience the spirit moving in your life, then you have to match the moving spirit, the anointing and baptizing spirit with a broken inner spirit in your own being. Because it's to such a broken spirit that God comes quickly and through that water baptism of a broken spirit and through the Holy Spirit coming upon and within you, you will enter and enjoy experience and be enriched in the realities of God and if you're born of God then get ready for the most exciting hair-raising adventure in front of you and for those of you who have been in the Lord for quite some time I pray in the name of Jesus that you can testify that being born of spirit and of water has brought you in to the realities of the Kingdom of God.